Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and it's episode 38. I am back here for another solo show. In fact, this is the first of two solo shows because this is a special two-part episode. I'll be reviewing Apple's new iPhone 12 and 12 Pro. I had the opportunity to get some review units from Apple, and so I've spent the better part of a week with the two phones, and I have a lot of thoughts from an accessibility perspective. Uh, You would be correct if you were to ask why in the world I need to talk about accessibility from a hardware perspective when accessibility is usually an operating system thing, a software thing. The iPhone 12 models do, I think, particularly have an accessibility story to tell. And I also think the releases come at a natural inflection point for a lot of people who have older phones and are wondering if this third generation of the iPhone X line of phones is an appropriate point to jump from, say, an 8 or a 7 or even a 6S, either because of the specific offerings that Apple has or just because older phones like 8s and 7s and 6Ss are getting long in the tooth. And I think people want to know, is now the time to jump? So we'll talk about the hardware features that cross with accessibility. We'll talk about some special features that the new phones have because of the neural engine and the better processors that enable accessibility that is not available in other devices. And we'll talk about some of iOS 14's marquee accessibility features, and there will be some intersection between uh, those two things, specialized hardware and those new accessibility features. I want to say too, that this review is really from the perspective of somebody who is making decisions myself about phones, somebody who thinks in terms of how a person with a disability might choose to upgrade or not upgrade. I also want this review to be of interest to a general audience. So if you don't have an accessibility need or if your interest in accessibility is more about is it or isn't accessible, what are the sort of pitfalls and pain points for accessibility, uh, we're going to address that here to some extent. We're not going to address the sort of feel-good emotional aspects of the accessibility features that Apple provides. We're not going to think of accessibility as a social good, but actually a set of features that are worth evaluating and that affect people differently based on the different disabilities they have. So there's going to be a lot of information here, all from an accessibility perspective, but none of it is going to be about congratulating anybody just for the fact that accessibility exists. I do want to reiterate that I was able to review these phones because Apple provided me review units, and Apple did that because the parallel audience is one that Apple wants to communicate with. That's my interpretation of why I got review units this time around. And so I'm excited for the opportunity to do this work. I'm also excited to bring this to you because, to be honest, I'm not somebody who would have gone out and bought an iPhone 12 and an iPhone 12 Pro right away for the purpose of reviewing them. I probably would have made my comments based on a lot of what I'd read. I probably would have gone to see a phone and had a very superficial experience with it. I will say that having these phones is also going to make the book I'm continuing to work on, iOS Access for All, a better book because it's going to have more nuanced takes on these phones than it otherwise would. Part one, which you're about to hear, is going to focus on the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro hardware. Part two will be much more about accessibility features that are in software, but that are made possible by that hardware. Let's get started. When I started thinking about these phones and how to put them in perspective and to answer everybody's question, which is, should I upgrade? 
I took a look at what other reviewers were saying, and I, I noticed this thing that I've noticed a lot before, is there's a tendency to compare a device to what it replaces, to last year's model. So the 12 Pro compared to the 11 Pro, the 12 Pro Max when it comes out will be compared to the 11 Pro Max, and so on. But that's not the way most people, people who don't have review units or upgrade your iPhone every year plans, it's not the way people buy and think about phones. Most people I know have phones that are a couple or three or four or even five generations old. I know people who have units in the six line. I know people who have eights. Uh, my husband has an eight. I have a 10R, so it's a two-year-old phone. And I think it's a lot less useful for somebody who's considering a major upgrade to hear about the 11 Pro than it is to hear about the 10R and the 8 and maybe even further back. So that's kind of where I want to start as far as the hardware. So just in case you're not as deep in the Apple weeds as some of us are, there are four iPhone 12 models ranging from the Mini all the way up to the 12 Pro Max, and the 12 and the 12 Pro are out right now. Those are physically the same size as one another, which is a super interesting way to go. The Mini will be smaller, the Max will be bigger. Well, duh. Okay. What are the differences between the 12 and 12 Pro? The 12 Pro has the three-lens camera system, the 12 has a two-lens camera system, so still quite an improvement over, say, a 10R or anything older than that. The 12 Pro also has a LiDAR scanner, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And though they have the same OLED display, all of the iPhone 12 models have OLED displays, as opposed to a lot of the older phones that have LED displays, the 12 Pro has the capacity for somewhat brighter screen appearance. Again, we'll talk about that a little later because for some folks that is a good thing and for some folks less so. All of the phones use this ceramic glass that is supposed to be much more resistant to shattering. That's, again, not something specific to either of the higher end of the phones. The 12 and 12 Pro are rated the same as far as battery life. I've seen some reviews online that give the 12 Pro a little bit of a ding, and I think that's probably because of the brightness. That would be my unscientific guess. And I'm actually going to put a link in the show notes to a couple of places where reviews have been done of these phones that far exceed my capacity or the availability of science and equipment and that sort of thing to, to do reviews. And one of them is this great battery review, which takes about six or eight phones, including these and some older phones going all the way back, I believe, to the SE that talks about its battery life and, and what are the, the constraining factors. But the Apple ratings for the 12 and the 12 Pro on battery life are listed as the same. The 12 lineup all have the squared off sides of the 4S and 5 generation. Uh, people for whom visual aesthetics are important note that the 12 Pro is stainless steel, whereas the 12 is aluminum. The phones have exactly the same dimensions, both in terms of screen real estate and the size of the phone. I have a green iPhone 12, which has a very slick, polished feel to it. It's the glass on both sides. I have the Pacific Blue iPhone 12 Pro, which has a sort of a matte feel to the finish. And I've noticed that space gray devices, which the Pacific Blue, and I'm, I'm somewhat colorblind, I'm quite colorblind, in fact, the Pacific Blue reminds me of space gray in a number of ways. And one of those is the sort of matte rather than slick finish. So I don't know whether other colors of the iPhone 12 Pro have that same feeling or not. 
although the glass-feeling slick iPhone 12 is not particularly more slippery than the matte 12 Pro. I think there might be sort of a psychological feeling that that uh, matte finish just uh, feels good and grippy in your hand. These, of course, are without a case. I spent some time comparing these phones to what it felt like to hold a caseless iPhone XR in my hands, reminding myself just how slippery that XR feels when you don't have a case on it. I always use a case on my phone because I actually like to include a phone in a wallet case. That's just personal preference. I think with the XR, though, which is a very slippery phone, and, and a lot of the ten phones prior to the 12s have been slippery. They certainly have the round sides. The 10R is a little more slippery because it's such a physically big phone, but I think the comparison still stands between the round and the squared off sides. If you have difficulty gripping a phone and you want to use it without a case, that's definitely a point in the 12 and 12 Pro's favor. I think it's pretty unequivocal. Uh, even the pre-10R generations, the 8s and the SEs and that sort of thing, those phones have rounded edges as well. They're just not quite as slippery because they're not quite as big. Apple sent me a couple of their clear cases. That's what they call them. They're plastic bumper style cases. And those cases also have squared off edges. The edges of the case are not quite as sharp, say, as the phone itself. But if you make the choice to have that case, uh, I would always encourage you to hold it in your hand and see whether it's something that you like. I don't personally care for it, not because of the squared off aspect, but just because it's a hard plastic. It's, it's not my jam, but I can see for some people how it would be. It's not a particularly obtrusive case. It adds about five ounces to the weight of the phone, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when I was comparing the weights of the 12, 12 Pro and some older phones, which I actually did on my kitchen scale, I was surprised at how much weight the clear case actually added when I put it on the 12 or 12 Pro. Another little bit on the clear case, I took a number of photos where I was using the volume button as the shutter for the camera, and I noticed that with the clear case on the phone, it was a little harder to press the button, especially when I was trying to take a selfie. So if pressing a button is a challenge for you, another case might be a better choice, or you might find a different way to activate the shutter, whether it be back tap or whether it actually be pressing the button on the screen. Talked a little bit about cases, but let me not skip over the idea of the weight of the phone in your hand by itself. So without a case, I compared the iPhones 12, the iPhone 10R, and an iPhone 8. Now, having used a 10R for a while, I'm sort of comfortable with a heavier phone than I would have expected to be. When I first got that 10R, I remember thinking, wow, this is really a lead brick in my pocket. But I've had it for two years, and I've also had a heavy case on it, so I'm pretty used to the weight of that phone. And that came into stark relief for me when I was hefting it with the iPhone 12 in one hand and the 10R in the other hand and finding, oh, well, the iPhone 12s are considerably lighter and they feel great. And then I picked up an iPhone 8, again, all these phones without cases at this point, and I realized that if you have a phone that is not a plus-size phone or a Pro or a Pro Max-size phone in the 10 line, you're going to find the 12s heavier. If an 8 or a 7 or even a 6S is the phone that you have, you'll find the 12s a little bit heavier. I don't think, personally, that it's a deal killer. And I, I think probably because my bias is toward a phone I can get my hand around. I have small hands, and the 10R is honestly a little big for my hands. And I use it in a case, but in a case, I don't hold the phone the same way I would if it were on its own. And holding it on its own stretches my muscles in my hand, and the 12 doesn't so much. 
but there is a tiny bit of added weight. I think the 12 is a fairly good size for many types of hands, unless you're really used to a physically small phone or a physically lightweight phone like the 8 or even like the one of the iPhone SE models. So you're, you might notice a weight increase, but I don't feel like to me, especially the 12, which doesn't have the slight addition caused by the uh, camera lenses, especially the 12, I don't feel like it's out of bounds or something you couldn't get used to unless you, for other reasons, just really hate the idea of adding weight to your phone. In that case, waiting for the iPhone 12 mini is probably a good option for you. Let's talk about screens. As I mentioned, all of the iPhone 12s are OLEDs. I've never had an OLED phone. I've seen them in Apple stores, but what you see in fluorescent light is not always a good indicator of what your real experience is going to be. And and the thing that OLED is supposed to be particularly good for is crisper, sharper blacks, which if you're somebody who uses invert colors or dark mode quite a bit, as I do, is pretty important. So I was excited to find out whether uh, the OLED display would make a difference for me. And I think it has. I have the interesting experience of feeling like the 12 Pro looks even a little bit sharper than the 12. And that's objectively not true because they're using the same display, although the 12 Pro provides for greater brightness. I don't turn my phone up anywhere near its brightest setting, but if I did, I would get more brightness on the 12 Pro. So if an OLED screen is important to you and you really want a bright screen and you have, for example, macular degeneration, that might be a consideration. And I would turn both the 12 and the 12 Pro all the way up if I had the ability to compare them and say, hey, is this what you want? So even though the 12 Pro has a brighter screen, for somebody who's using dark mode a lot, I find it really delightful to look at and very crisp. And an interesting situation, if you're using dark mode, you're not getting blacks as the background. If you're using smart invert colors, you're getting sort of a deep black. And so the OLED display, when you're using invert colors, is particularly striking for that reason. But even in dark mode, it feels to me like there's greater contrast. I'm also aware that this is a really subjective thing, and it doesn't affect everyone's vision the same way. But I never got much out of True Tone when that became available on LED displays that I had, say, on the 10R. But the OLED, I think, makes more of a difference and probably would make more of a difference if you're doing some of the things that the 12 and the 12 Pro excel at, such as taking pictures and being able to see uh, detail through the display and the viewfinder as well. Another real advantage the 12 and 12 Pro have in terms of the screen is just the amount of screen real estate. They both have the 6.1-inch display that the 10R has, even though they're in a smaller package. They get more pixels on the screen going edge to edge, even more so than the 10R. And I experienced the 12s and the 10R very similarly, probably for that reason. I was astonished when I picked up the iPhone 8, which was my phone three years ago, and found how small that screen felt to me, having been in the 12, 12 Pro and even 10R world for some time. The iPhone 8 felt like an iPhone SE to me. And I had to reckon with the fact that I had gotten used to a larger display. I'm not a voiceover user or a Braille screen input user, so I'm not moving my fingers around the display to the degree that somebody who was in the voiceover camp 
uh, wood. And I've always said that if you are a low vision person or somebody who uses braille screen input, those are sort of prime use cases for a larger screen. If you're low vision and you're using larger text sizes or if you're using Zoom a lot, there's some value to a larger screen. Some of the screens I've used on, say, the Plus phones, the old 7 Plus and 8 Plus phones, I always got lost on those screens because they were just too big. But I've really come to believe for myself that that 6.1 inch display is is kind of a sweet spot. And it might not be for you if the trade-offs of the phone's weight and cost and other things are too much for you. But I will say that that once I got used to it, and I feel like the OLED display plays a role here too, because you have a bright screen, a screen with great contrast. It just feels like a good, open, uh, right-sized experience. But the 6.1, if you have had an iPhone XR, you're going to feel like you haven't changed phones, except that the display quality is, as we've talked about, better. I want to real quickly address the cameras in the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro. As I've mentioned, the 12 Pro has the telephoto lens. It also has the LiDAR scanner, which will make low-light photography even better. Although I started taking pictures with the 12 before I got the 12 Pro and was astonished by the quality of the low-light pictures that I took. So I can only imagine that the 12 Pro pictures would be considerably better. I'm not a good objective judge of photography quality, even my own, but I've had really good experiences with both phones and have been surprised by the quality of the pictures. You turn on the low light setting and you can make additional choices about the kind of light in your environment and you just get really amazing pictures that both look like what you see in the real world, but a better version of it almost. I will say the telephoto lens has been great just in terms of zooming in on things and looking at them, less so for taking photographs than just for getting close to something that's far away and having a look at it, which has certainly accessibility implications. The camera is also an important accessibility tool for scanning documents and for looking at our surroundings and learning about them because the machine learning functions of the uh, iPhone, not just the iPhone 12, but certainly enhanced in the iPhone 12 because of the A14 Bionic chip and the neural engine, uh, those functions have been applied to the camera. And we'll begin to be talking about that in part two of this review, where I want to actually do some live demos for you, where I go out and show you what a voiceover user can get from the camera. I may even do a little fun stuff with the telephoto lens from a low vision point of view, but uh, that will have to wait for part two. Just like previous generations of the iPhone, the 12s have lightning connectors. We haven't switched to USB-C. A lot of people were hopeful that that would happen. I'm ambivalent, but my existing lightning cables will continue to work, so that makes me happy, whatever it makes others feel. Included in the box is a USB-C to lightning cable, so if you're going to use that cable to connect to power, you're going to need a USB-C compatible wall charger. And that's not something everybody has lying around. You would also be able to use a USB-C MacBook Pro or potentially even an iPad, I suppose. Well, maybe not. Uh, but if you have an iPad, you have a USB-C compatible charger because the iPad Pros released before this year included those. So in other words, if you don't have USB-C at home, you're going to need to find a way to get one, either by buying one of Apple's overpriced adapters or by getting a third-party one. There's certainly plenty of third-party ones out there. I don't know about you, but I've got a fair amount of USB-A already in my house.
I've got some wall plates that have some USB-A ports. I've got several six-port wall chargers with USB-A. And so I've kind of invested a lot in that form factor. Uh, not a lot of money, but just a lot of effort. And uh, you're going to find yourself throwing things away or applying them to other uses to move to USB-C. The stated reason for getting rid of the USB-A wall wart from the box is that it was environmentally friendly, not only in terms of the materials needed to make that device, but in terms of how many more devices you could pack onto a pallet. So let's say for the sake of argument that those are absolutely accurate statements. Uh, I think the inconvenience factor, and I've said this before on podcasts, is I feel like Apple needs to both educate people that, hey, you're going to need a compatible power source for this, and the second thing they need to do is not charge so much for their compatible power sources. I think it's unconscionable. If you're not going to provide something uh, free as part of the purchase, call it free or don't call it free, but it's part of your purchase. If you're not going to provide that, uh, you shouldn't be trying to get 20 or $30 out of somebody just for a USB-C uh, power adapter. But be that as it may, you're going to need that USB-C. You're also going to need that USB-C if you get a MagSafe charger. The original meaning of MagSafe from Apple was this magnetic-based uh, power connector that would connect to your laptop but that if you tripped over it would break away so that the laptop wouldn't fall and the connector would disconnect. So this is sort of the reverse MagSafe in that uh, these are very strong magnets that allow accessories to connect to the back of your iPhone, a MagSafe charger, a MagSafe uh, wallet attachment that connects to the case. So the MagSafe charger is probably the most interesting thing. It's a little wireless charger pad that's probably three times the size of an Apple Watch charger, so a couple of inches in diameter. I have not taken exact measurements. There is an integrated USB-C cable on this charger, so again, if for a power source, you're going to need USB-C. So Apple clearly, as many manufacturers do, this isn't just an Apple thing, is clearly moving us toward USB-C. In any case, welcome to the USB-C future. A little bit more about the MagSafe charger. It is a very satisfying experience to put your iPhone 12 on the charger and have it make a clunk that indicates that the two are connected, and then there's a graphic on screen, and you get the charging sound. So there's a lot of confirmation that, yes, even though this charger is a lot smaller than the back of your iPhone, it's connected, and it's connected in the right place. I thought it would be fun to put my iPhone 10R, which, of course, doesn't have magnetic material uh, the way that the iPhones 12 do, onto the charger and see if it would work. And I could connect them. I could have charging begin. But the phone, which of course is quite large, uh, wouldn't really stay in the right place. So I don't know if it's practically possible to use a little charger like this on a big phone. Uh, so I, I wouldn't get a MagSafe charger if you don't actually have an iPhone 12 that will support it properly. Let's talk a little bit about Face ID. All the iPhone 12 models are Face ID only. I had to laugh because as much of a problem as Face ID is for a lot of people with blindness and visual impairment, I think there was some hope among the mainstream community who was frustrated by not being able to use Face ID while wearing masks that Touch ID would somehow come back in the 2020 phones. I don't think people were surprised that that was not possible because clearly those phones had been far along the design process before COVID-19 came to us in the early part of this year. But 
there is now hope among the mainstream that Touch ID will make a return, if not to replace Face ID as an alternative. I call that the mask dividend because those of us who are blind and visually impaired and who have a contentious relationship with Face ID uh, might finally have an option in the future. But if you think that's the case and you're holding out for a phone that is top of the line but also provides Touch ID, Obviously, the 12 series is not for you. I am not a good person to speculate about whether Touch ID would return, but people in the mainstream who observe these things uh, seem to feel like it's a possibility in uh, a forthcoming year. So sort of bear that in mind. I set these phones up with Face ID. I have to use VoiceOver to do it. I did it the first time with VoiceOver. It was very quick and it worked well with Attention not required. I can get into my phone really quickly with just a glance. It's sort of astonishing how easily I can get into my phone. If I turn the attention feature back on, which is the default if you're not using VoiceOver, I have difficulty getting into my phone, and I actually do have some usable vision. So it really seems to be about eye contact and concentrating on the area of the phone where the camera is. And so I'm not really a fan of Face ID only myself. But I've kind of made peace with it. It is faster. Every new generation of device I get that supports Face ID, it seems that getting into the device is faster. I have the 10R and I have the iPad Pro from 2018, and now I have the iPhones 12 Pro and 12. Each generation seems to be quicker as far as Face ID. So those are, dare I say, edge cases that might keep somebody away from the iPhone 12 lines, especially if there's a possibility that Touch ID would come to a future iPhone. Again, entirely speculation, but if your number one issue is Face ID versus Touch ID, maybe wait a little bit. So I'm somebody who believes that solo podcasting can be pretty relentless, both for the listener and for the podcaster. I'm going to bring part one of this review to a close, but I want to give you a preview of what's coming up next. I want to talk a lot next time about the intersection of iPhone hardware with accessibility features in the software. We're getting to a point where there are new accessibility features arriving in the iPhone 12 specifically that aren't available anywhere else. And that's because the hardware in the devices makes things possible in the software that aren't possible in older units. So you have things like sound recognition, voiceover recognition, and a brand new feature in iOS 14.2 called people location, which is made possible by the iPhone 12 Pro's LiDAR sensor. It's not even available in the iPhone 12. And a back tap is another one that's not available in all Apple products. So we're starting to reach a point where the advanced accessibility features that are possible because of the new hardware are just not going to be an option for you if you're one of those folks who says, you know what, I can do fine with last year's phone or I can do fine with buying last year's phone now because even though it doesn't have the most advanced features, it's considerably less expensive. So we're going to talk about all that. We're also going to do some live demos, specifically of voiceover recognition and one of my favorite features, which is the ability to identify objects in the camera before you take photos. Kind of blows me away, actually. So we'll talk about that in part two of this review coming up. In the meantime, if you have any questions for me or if there's anything you want me to cover about the iPhones 12 and 12 Pro, please don't hesitate to drop a line over on Twitter at Parallel Pods. You can subscribe to or get more information about this podcast at relay.fm slash parallel. And I'll have a couple of links in the show notes to other reviews that have covered aspects of the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro that I haven't been able to address here. 
Thanks for joining me, and I'll be back real soon with part two.